If I were to ask you to make a list of the top reasons for conflict between people, what would be on your list? What are, what are some of the top reasons for conflict? Pride, money. What? Territory. Unmet expectations. Chores. To-do lists. Know what's going on at their house. What, what else? Miscommunication. Differing opinions. Different beliefs. And yeah, I still haven't got the one I'm looking for. Power. Somebody say power? Yeah, that was what I was looking for. What did you say? <laughs> values, different values, yeah. Um, but I think a lot of it, a lot of conflict does boil down to power struggles. Uh, when you look at on, you know, nations, when they're fighting with each other, usually what's at stake? Power. Politics, what's half of it about? Who has the power and who wants it? Um, even interpersonally, um, a lot of times the, the levels of, of power, a lot of these things we mentioned ultimately go back to issues of power um, and fighting over power and that kind of thing. And so uh, a lot of times the question is, well, with power, who has it and who wants it and how do others respond to it? Um, and today we're looking at uh, a story that displays power. Um, and it's a well-known story. Uh, this is, among Christians, this is one that, that, that if you've been in Christian circles, if you've been in church for very long, you've probably heard this story because every year uh, most churches celebrate it right before Easter. Um, and this is the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday, as some people call it. And so today we're looking at John's account um, of this story. And we're in John chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 12. And um, in this, this passage, we're, we're getting John's perception of what was really going on and what was really at stake. Uh, this is a story um, that is recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, so if you're like, wait, I remember this story a little bit different. Well, you probably have heard the different version of it from a different eyewitness, right? Because when different eyewitnesses experience the same thing, they're going to record their version of it, right? Um, and so whereas uh, the other three Gospels focus more on just the total worship aspect of, of what was going on, um, John focuses more on the interpersonal uh, dynamics um, and what the power play that is happening in this scene and in what was happening in this moment. And so, uh, so we see that here in John. Uh, I was telling uh, Bruce beforehand, uh, the, the Luke version is the one uh, where the, the speakers, like where the, the Pharisees come at Jesus and they're like, hey, tell these people to stop worshiping you. They don't need to be worshiping you. And Jesus says, hey, if I tell them to be quiet, the rocks are going to cry out, right? The rocks will start worshiping me, um, which led to the great and epic uh, camp song, Ain't no rock gonna cry in my place. And I actually stumped the band today with mentioning that song. They didn't know it. I was like, man, I'm pulling one out on you guys. So if you don't know Ain't No Rock, go look it up. So uh, it'll, it'll change your life or make you hate me one. So, uh, but let's jump into the passage for today and see how John records 
what happened. So John chapter 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And the disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd came to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And so I see here in John's account, he is seeing this power play happening. Now, and even says like, at the time, we didn't really get it. We didn't really understand what was going on. It was just like another day with Jesus, like. We're walking into Jerusalem, all of a sudden there's a big party. Like, that's just kind of what happened when you hung out with this guy. You didn't know what was going to happen next, right? Um, but then after the fact, and after Jesus has died and raised from the dead, he comes to, he was thinking back, he's like, whoa, that was a major moment. That was a major thing that we were a part of. And what was really going on there? And what we see, what he's saying, he's like, hey, here's Jesus. Jesus is just walking into town. And all of these people come out and they are praising and worshiping him. Why? Because he has power. He had the power to bring Lazarus back from the dead. And so Jesus still has all power and is worthy of worship, just like he was in this setting right here. And so as this is happening, these people are coming out. And they're praising and worshiping him. But let's, let's dig a little bit further into what's really going on here. What did they say? They said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Their, their response coming out of Jerusalem to meet Jesus who's coming in is the response of a people at this time who's coming out to meet uh, their king who had conquered another nation is returning home. That's, this is the kind of celebration that you would have. Even down to the palm branches, we see that and we're like, oh yeah, palm trees, that's, that's cool. Yeah, they probably had a bunch of those around. Well, they did, um, but the palm branches were beyond that. The palm branches were really a symbol at this time of Jewish nationalism. So the equivalent for us today would be like um, a flag, so a nation with its flag. So um, imagine when you, when you read about them bringing the palm branches and all that, imagine that it's like a political rally today. And everybody's waving their Canadian flag, right? And saying, this is who we are. Look, this is our nation. This is what's happening. And so they are, are worshiping Jesus for who he is, but they don't fully get who he is. Because they're worshiping him as one that, hey, yes, he's, the king is coming. He's coming into the capital city. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to come and overthrow Rome. Has to be what the thought is at this point. Um, and you say, well, how do you jump to that, Wayne? Well, here, here's how I, I get there. Think back um, to what, 
what we saw in John chapter 6. So John chapter 6, he's again with the mass crowd. He feeds them. He feeds 5,000 of them. And then in verses uh, 14 and 15, it says this, And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So if at the moment they said, hey, this guy can feed us and make us feel good, their thought process was, we're going to make him the king. Now imagine, wait, this guy can raise the dead? Can you imagine a military leader who, once his troops die in battle, he can just call them back to life? I mean, that's a pretty good gig, right? Like, that would work out well for our nation if, uh, if we can go in and fight and we lose nobody, no casualties ever, because he just brings them back. It's like, hey, battle's over. Hey, my guys, get up. Let's go home. Um, you know, like, this, this would be a great, great thing for the nation. And so you have to know that this is where these people's minds were. And so as they're worshiping him, they're, they're worshiping him, but, but not in full understanding of who he is. Because he does have that power. He is able to raise the dead. But Jesus, in this setting, he knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew exactly why he was coming to town. He wasn't returning from battle. He was walking into battle. And he wasn't walking into battle to fight and kill others, but he was walking into battle to sacrificially lay down his life himself. And that's why he's walking into town. And he knows that. He knows that it's within seven days of this moment that not only would he die on a cross and a brutal death, but he would be raised to life again three days later because he has that power. And that power is the issue that is at stake. And so as the one with the power, he is misunderstood. You see, the people, they misunderstood Jesus' power in terms of their desires. They were looking at him not out of who are you and what are you doing here? How can I put my life in line with you and what you're doing? But they're looking at him saying, what do I get out of you? And we equally can be guilty of coming to Jesus in this way. They're crying out, Hosanna, which means save us. They're crying out, save us, save us. And it just is in a name form. That's what Hosanna is, a noun is a name. But it, the root of it means save us, save us. And what is Jesus doing? He's walking in at that moment to ultimately save them. Not from who they think they need saving from, but from their real problem. And the same is true for us. We can come to him and we can say, Jesus, save us, save us from fill in the blank. And we come to him based on what our felt need is, not based on who he really is and what he's doing for us. So at the risk of stepping on some toes, I'm going to step on some toes. So if you... If you only see Jesus as being there as a solution to your individual problems, then you're missing it. 
If Jesus is just the next self-help solution for you, then you're missing it. If Jesus is only there to bring you wealth and prosperity, then you are missing it. If Jesus is only there to bring, um, to, to be your band-aid for whatever ails you, then you're missing it. If you're only approaching Jesus seeking healing, you're missing it. I'll go so far as to say this. If Jesus is just your get-out-of-hell-free get card, then you're missing it. Jesus is so much more. And what he does for us as our Savior is so much more amazing than, you know, Jesus, can, can you make me feel better right now? Like, he does that. He can heal. He does have that power. He has all power and authority, and he can heal the worst ailments. That's why we pray to him, and that's why we ask him to do that stuff for us, to intercede on our behalf, to make those things happen for us. He, he, he can help you with your mental health. Absolutely, 100%. He can heal there. He can bring restoration there. He can, he can do all of that. But if he is just the next opioid to try to solve those things for you, then you're missing it. You're missing who he is and what he's really all about. So the question is, do we worship Jesus based on who he is and what he's doing? Or do we misunderstand who he is and respond to him in terms of our misunderstanding? And that's a question that probably each of us needs to constantly ask ourselves. Because even for the most dedicated Christ follower, it's easy to fall back into those other things and to just look at him for, what do I get out of this? Or why am I having to go through this, Jesus? Or why don't you take care of this, Jesus? Where instead we can look at him and say, Jesus, what is your purpose in this right now? And how do I align myself with it? How do I follow you? How do I obey you in this situation? And so... We see the people here crying out and praising him, and uh, Jesus is riding in on a donkey's colt, um, and it's just an amazing, amazing scene. But then John gives that clarification um, with the fact the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. They heard about Lazarus. They heard, oh, this is a guy that can do pretty cool tricks. Here's his best one yet. Let's, let's go out. Let's go see him. I want to I be in on that. And they still were missing who he ultimately is and what he was ultimately doing. Well, the passage goes on in verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing Look, the world has gone after him. So here we see a group who had earthly power. We already saw, we've already seen from them so much about them from the book of John, of how they were worried that Rome was going to, Jesus was leading an uprising, and Rome was going to come in and squash it and take away their power and authority. And so what power they had was going to be stripped away and so they were, that's why they were so worried about this Jesus guy, because of what he was going to do. 
And in fact, at the end of chapter 11, uh, we saw that they have put out a public notice, um, basically a warrant for Jesus' arrest, um, saying, hey, if you know where he is, let us know so we can go arrest him. Um, And so here Jesus is walking in in broad daylight right into town, everybody's worshiping, everybody's celebrating, everybody's praising what's going on. And what are they saying? Uh, we lost. Everybody's turned to him. We don't have any power. We don't have any authority. Oh no, what are we going to do? And John's just seeing that it was, even at this point, it was this power struggle that was at play. You have the one who has ultimate power and authority who created the universe here and then you have this other group that's like, hey, we, we've been put in charge by the people with the military. They, they say we can be in charge, so we have to do a good job of that or else they're going to come take away our power. They're going to come take away our status. And we see here that Jesus' power is a threat to those who aren't following him. It's a threat. Jesus' power is a threat to those who aren't following him. For those who, 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 are, who can't proclaim Hosanna, who can't say, save us, we need it. Because you see, to, to truly understand the gospel of grace is a place of humility. It's a place of understanding that there's nothing I can do to deserve this. I am not good enough at all. This is a gift that he has given, that he has done for me. The only thing that I contribute to my salvation is the sin that made it necessary. He's the one that went to the cross. He's the one that died on the cross. He's the one that rose again. He did that all for me out of love and care for me. And that is humbling. That isn't something that breeds pride. That isn't something that puffs up. When we have an accurate view of the gospel and how it applies to ourselves, it brings us low. It brings us down a few notches. But if we're worried about just looking out for numero uno, and we're just worried about our power and what authority we have, and is, is somebody's going to take that away, And Jesus is a great, great threat. Because you see, this time he rode into town on a donkey, humbly, as a servant, to willingly lay down his life as a sacrifice for us. But a time is coming when he's going to return. And John, the same guy that wrote this, had another vision from the Lord at the end of his life, about what was to come. And in that vision, he saw a time when Jesus was coming back. Let me read you his account of what's going to happen the next time that Jesus comes. Then I saw saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses, 
From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. With a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. You see, when Jesus comes back again, he does come back as a military leader. But he comes back with a military leader that has power far beyond just raising his troops from the dead. He comes back with the power of the sword of his tongue being able to slay the nations. You're like, wait a second, that sounds totally different. It's because it is. Because that is what our sin deserves. But the good news is that by his grace, he came the first time. Riding on that donkey, laying down his life for us, paying the price for us, what we deserve So that when he comes this time, we don't have to face that. And so I ask you, do you see his power as your hope? Or do you see his power as a threat? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he is the suffering servant. That he came and humbly laid down his life for us on that cross. Lord, we we cry out, Hosanna, save us, save us, Lord. Lord, for anyone here who's never placed their faith in you or is joining us online, has never placed their faith in you, Lord, I just pray that you will call them to yourself, that you will bring them to that place of faith and repentance in you, that your gospel will ring true in their life. God, I thank you for all that you do for us. And I just pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.